This episode of Talking Smith About Film is brought to you by football, because apparently it's coming home. We might be on tape, but it's still your Talking Smith About Film. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are, and welcome to Talking Smith about film. The intro may be laggy and we're on tape, but does that stop us from telling you that in a week when Harlequins performed the biggest upset in rugby history, England beat Germany at Wembley, and our health secretary got caught in a compromising situation. What else would you need from a film podcast and a bloke reviewing some movies and not nursing a hangover following the biggest game of the entire year? It's been one of those kinds of weeks. Um, sadly, we are on tape. We're not live this week because, well, we've got a marathon to prepare for. Uh, but that doesn't stop us from going in to the world of the big screen and talking about some old films, talking about some new films, and even a couple of mysterious films too. But we are... Kind of live in a way, because we're on a YouTube premiere feature this week, which means we can still technically say that these are all of the ways you can get involved with Talking Smith about film. Yes, we may not be live, but we're still kind of live. So there are a myriad of ways you can get involved talking Smith about film. You can go old school by emailing us podcast at leejacksmith.com. You can tweet us using the hashtag TalkingSmith. Uh, to me personally, at Lee Jack Smith or at Smith on Film. Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Smith on Film, respectively. We have a Discord server. Uh, link in the description. We're going to be doing some interesting things with that going forward. And for those of you who are watching this as it goes out on Friday, the live chat is just to the left. It's going to be unmoderated, so please don't spam any comments about Tiger Perry films like the two idiot Americans did last week. This is your show. You help set the editorial. So let's get straight on with this week's Talking Smith Bear film. And let's actually go back in time to 2017, to just after the refurbishment of my local cinema, a place where I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time next week. Um, let's go back to August 2017, when an indie film came out of nowhere and surprised literally everyone in terms of how cute and good and bonkers it was. It had a sequel come out a few weeks ago, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but before we do the sequel, let's talk about the original. This is the trailer for Hitman's Bodyguard. This is Michael Bryce. I'm an executive protection agent. I've extracted my client. Cleanup is required. You might want to call the bomb squad. Make it the fire department. Is that my car? I'm afraid so. Have a seat. It's been a long day. The trial continues one of the world's most brutal dictators. With a key witness to testify. I can assure you, we're more than prepared for any assault. <laughs> prepared for that assault? When Kincaid is dead, he'll be paid in full. There's a safe house not far from here. I have a job for you. The transport is in there. What the... F 27 times. That's how many times it tried to kill me. 27. 28! <laughs> I'll be safe for all my own. You will last one hour without me. Tell us. 
where your husband is. You lost my husband? Do you have any idea how stupid you sound? The only way Bryce and Kincaid don't make it is that they kill each other first. If you wouldn't mind the gun. Okay, on three. One. My bad. You're bad. Go with God. This man's killed over 150 people. 250. Easy. Yes, this film is as bonkers as it looks. Brief flavour of what the film's like. The world's top bodyguard, Ryan Reynolds, uh, gets a new client. A hitman who must testify at the International Court of Justice. They must put aside their differences and work together to make the trial on time. This is a beautifully insane kind of movie. In the best kind of way. And I say that because it leads into the clip that we've got. The clip that we've got is... Typical for a Ryan Reynolds film, let's be honest. Now, it's quite a long clip, so I'm going to get myself comfy. I've got a little mug here, and because we're at that time of year already, I also have a thermos of Earl Grey on standby. So I'm going to pour myself a little cup of Earl Grey while you enjoy Ryan Reynolds musing as the whole world falls apart. Even if my heart should tell me Do you have any idea how prepared I was? No, no, really? No. Every possible scenario I had covered, every kill shot, every... Every angle. And he fucking ruins my life with one lucky shot through a window the size of a... Again. You know what he'd say? He'd say that I had it all figured out before you got here. He'd say, uh, I guess my thing's just better than your thing, motherfucker. I guess bullets are just allergic to me, motherfucker. This guy single-handedly ruined the word motherfucker. You know how hard that is to do? I was triple-A rated. Executive protection criminal. I was up here. I was up here. God damn it! So, as you can tell there, this is a film where nothing is done by half. Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson in a film together. Cue the swear counter, get your cup of Earl Grey ready. This film is full of F-bombs, and for very good reason. This, for, this film from Patrick Hughes may not be for everyone. It's generally decent, but it really packed a punch. Now, Hughes directs this one really well, using his experience working on The Expendables 3 to balance the action and the comedy really well throughout. 
He's able to take Tom O'Connor's script and give it a lot of subtle references and in-jokes that add to a payoff to may seem a little bit underwhelming, but it worked on so many levels. It was a surprise sensation when it came out in 2017. When I seen it at View during a refurbishment, audiences really lapped it up. And it was a general manager at the time who recommended this film to me. So, um, Tom, you're kind of to blame for this week, mate. Um, but it's shot well by Jules O'Glocklin and the score from uh, Atlee Orvatson. Subtle, basic, does the job. Action set pieces, as you've just seen, are bonkers. Very self-referential, very funny. They take the mick out of the spy film. Even just the whole fact that this film does not take itself seriously at all, at any point. They, they initially publicised this film using the Whitney Houston track from The Bodyguard. They all use I Will Always Love You. It's it's a series that does not afraid it's not afraid to take itself seriously, and that's what I love about this film. Performance wise, this is all about the pairing of Ryan Reynolds and Samuel Jackson. They've got a unique chemistry that makes what could have been a mediocre film quite a bit better. It was a surprise seeing these two together, and they just play off each other so well. It'll be interesting. And if this film has been anything to go by, should Disney follow through and merge Deadpool into the MCU? This is a kind of flavour of what it's like, because there's no way in hell a film with these two would get anything less than a 15 certificate because of the amount of swearing, the amount of action, the amount of blood, the amount of guts. It's a really, bit, really good bit of champagne casting, as they call it. Supporting them uh, is a cast that includes Richard E. Grant, Gary Oldman, Salma Hayek. This talent alone should be enough to convince the majority of cinema goers to give this film a go. It is the perfect example of a film that fits the screen unseen mould. And we'll be telling you a bit more about screen unseen towards the end of this week's podcast, because, surprise, surprise, it came back after two years this week. But what could have been a mediocre concept is saved by some very good humour. This past the six and a half test with flying colours... It has some great unique action set pieces and, of course, that incredible pairing of Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds should be enough for all of you to sort of get into the whole buddy cop concept. If you enjoyed something like The Nice Guys, you will enjoy this film with no issue. And, of course, now it's time to rate this film. So for those of you who weren't here two weeks ago for the uh, shambles of a live show that we did, the ratings on Talking Smith about film work very differently to the ones that you read on ejacksmith.com. They range from not worth watching, wait for DVD, worth a watch, should be watched, go out and see it now, and masterpiece. Hitman's Bodyguard uh, came in at a very high end, should be watched. It is a really enjoyable film, quite a lot of humour for audiences, I would say young and old, but old, but it's a 15 and we don't really want to encourage or advocate for that kind of thing. Uh, but it is a very solid action film. It's not without its faults, so don't go into this expecting a perfect kind of movie. You will be nitpicking it afterwards. But it is a film that delivers the goods and makes it sort of the best kind of film you could potentially hope for in terms of the sort of quality you want. It is... I, I enjoyed it, and it's on film four on a regular basis. It, as this is pre-recorded, future me in the edit uh, 
Would it be possible to sort of flash a caption as to whether it's on all four or not? Thanks, Future Me. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really enjoyable film. Uh, best enjoyed on the biggest possible screen you can. Although that's not really possible because they're not showing it at the minute. Uh, but it is a really enjoyable film. So, with the first review down, let's move on to this week's film news rundown. I Again... It's good to have a cup of Earl Grey here, because it's, it's been a long day here at Smith HQ. It's been one of the hottest days of the year, which is why we're pre-recording this. But we, we're also mindful of the fact that this time next week we're going to be doing something pretty insane. I'll give you more insane than, uh, than that action scene you managed to bear witness to a couple of seconds ago. So with that being said, film news rundown time. And sadly, it's been quite a slow news week. Uh, the major news coming out of the Marvel sets at the minute. Black Panther Wakanda Forever has started shooting down in Atlanta. We don't know much about the plot at this stage of play. We know for a fact they are not going to be recasting T'Challa, as has been announced in the big Phase 4 trailer that's been running with most films at view sites around the country. Whether the film turns out to be as good as the original, even without Chadwick, we'll have to wait and see when it comes out. Uh, in reopening news... Cinemas in the UK actually stand a very good chance of returning to full capacity in a couple of weeks owing to the delayed Step 4 unlock. We were meant to go back to full capacity on June 21st. Government pushed that back by four weeks. Uh, but judging by how well the vaccine programme's been rolling out here in the UK, we're in a very good place to welcome you all back at full capacity on July the 19th. With Black Widow looming as well, Scarlett Johansson's been attached to a couple more projects. She's to produce and potentially star in a movie based on Disney's Tower of Terror ride. It's a decent attraction, but is it justified to make a movie about that particular set of a Disney? I know it's not really a thing at the parks anymore, we'll swap it out for Guardians of the Galaxy. But Disney fans have been quite sceptical on this news. You've got a big box office drawing Scar Joe, and you've got a big box office ride in Tower of Terror. I don't know how this is gonna work out. We are also in the midst of summer blockbuster season. Oh, it feels good to say that after two years. So many new trailers have dropped over the last couple of days, including new trailers for Don't Breathe 2, Candyman, The Suicide Squad, Sing 2 from uh, from the same, same people who did Broad Despicable Me, and importantly, those brand new trailer for Shang-Chi and Ten Rings. It is a stacked trailer reel running at sites around, around the UK at the minute. So, audience is seeing Fast 9 this week and audience seeing Black Widow next week. and going to be spoiled for choice in terms of what is going to be shown. In future production news, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is supposedly making a Christmas film. Shock horror. Uh, Red One has been commissioned for Amazon. It's going to be written by Fast and Furious veteran Chris Morgan. And if the Hollywood Reporter's uh, rumours or anything to go by, Father Christmas is going to be a central character in this film. Oh Lord, how the mighty have fallen. Making a Christmas film at this stage in your career. And finally... After a long absence, the Cannes Film Festival gets going on Tuesday. Uh, we will be sort of covering as and when here on Talking Spit About Film what's hot and what's not. But it's good to have the foreign and art house films making their way back to cinemas around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that was your film news rundown. And this is why I'm glad I've got a cup of tea with me, because there's no way in hell I would have been able to pad that out to the usual three minutes. So, let's move on to our... Hey! As you can tell, I'm a little bit... I'm still a little bit out of practice 
at running this podcast. Second episode back after six months out. But let's now talk about our next film. And it's nice that we're doing this... Well, we're not even 15 minutes in and we're on to the second film already. This is going to be a short pod this week, man. Let's move on to our second review. It was one of the films that held at the reopening of UK cinema. It was one of the first major releases to make its way back in this whole... 50 cent, 50% capacity, COVID-restricted world. And it was a film that I had been waiting for since I reviewed the first film about six and a half minutes ago. Well, actually, in actual fact, it's been a film I'd been waiting for for about four and a half years. Uh, we mentioned it during Hitman's Bodyguard review. A sequel arrived with a lot of the same core creative team. And, well... Let's just say that uh, this review is going to be interesting. This is the trailer for the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. He has had a tremendous year. Michael Price is the Bodyguard of the Year. Woo! <laughs> is he a relative of yours? God, no. Darius Kincaid, the Hitman, wanted for like a zillion murders around the world. And how often do you have this dream? Just once. Well, that's not A night. Right. I'm thinking you need to forget bodyguarding. I'm officially on sabbatical, and to be honest, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. As if the world's been waiting for me to make this change. For the first time, I'm starting to imagine a life without bodyguarding. This really feels like a new beginning. Don't I know you? The mafia took my husband. Kill them. We have to go get him. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm under strict psychological orders. I promised my therapist no bodyguard. So that means no guns, no killing, and no blood. What is he doing here? Are you using pepper spray? I'm on sabbatical. well they say to bring protection uh for something like that and i'm glad they did four years after the events of the original film Bodyguard Michael Bryce, which is the Ryan Reynolds character, uh, is on a company-mandated sabbatical when Sonny Kincaid, Salma Hayek, uh, the wife of hitman Darius Kincaid, I don't think you need to guess who that is, um, whom Bryce shares an uneasy friendship with, rescues him from an assassination attempt to sort of prevent the death of her husband. It is another bonkers plot. It's another completely out there plot. It's another film where action set pieces are amped up to 110 stupid. And I really do mean 110 stupid because some of the things in this film really do defy the laws of physics. Um, the clip we've got isn't great. It's from quite early on in the film. But it 
shows Salma Hayek, who is a bit part in the original film, doing what she does best. Creating all sorts of mental smit. Here's a clip. This reminds me of the spa back at the hotel. Really? Not at all. Okay, let's blast this motherfucker. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. No. You go in there, guns blazing. They're gonna get trigger happy inside, then it's bye-bye Darius. He asked for me. He needs me. So we're gonna do this my way. That means no killing, no guns, and no blood. Boring is always best. Understood? Of course not. Jesus Christ! What have you done? Yeah, a little bit too fresh. I specifically said no killing. I'm not on sabbatical. Where is your shirt? Yeah, it's it's like that. So, after a long COVID delay, the sequel is here. It had been touted at Cannes for a number of years. It was on the, the blacklist of scripts. Uh, sadly, and I can't believe I have to say this, this is a, this is a sequel to a film that's just gone to Hollywood. Most of the same team are back working on this second film, including director Patrick Hughes, who does a decent job fleshing this film out, but there are issues. The one hour, 40 minute runtime did cause some of our journal production team to nod off. Lord knows how that happened. Um, but that's more due to the script from Tom O'Connor, Brandon and Philip Murphy. It replicates the humour, but it doesn't replicate the charm. It does drag out a little bit and it does struggle to hit the same heights that the original film had hit. It does pass the six laugh test in the first half hour. But aside from that, it's a film that struggles to sort of find its feet. It's a film that struggles to ensure it knows what it's doing. It's a film that really tries a bit too hard. It is shot well by Terry Stacey, though, uh, stepping in for Jules O'Glockland, who was working on other projects. Atlee Orverson comes back to do the score, as expected, comes in where it's needed, much like the selection of music which attracts the action. And it's not often you get a film that has Britney Spears blaring on its main trailer. And to be fair, knowing recent events using a Britney track, not ideal in this state of mind. But that is irrelevant. When it comes to the performances... It's another film where Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson get to be themselves. They swear about as much as an England football player when he doesn't have a referee mic on him. Rugby through and through, OK? Uh, <laughs> you can tell we're recording this in one take. Um, they get to be themselves. They get to bring the action and self-referential <laughs> humour at the forefront. And this time round, Salma Hayek gets a much bigger part to play. She was only in it for, what, like 20 minutes in the first film. This is arguably her movie to shine. Um, she's got some of the comedic highlights of the film too, uh, including quite a beauty of a twist at the ending. If you've, not, if you've seen the first one, it is a beauty of a twist. Uh, the new additions include Antonio Banderas as the villain, um, 
whose name I'm not even going to try and uh, butcher in the film. It's a ridiculous name. Uh, he feels a bit like he's a mitch, uh, mismatch for this kind of film, though. He doesn't feel like he belongs. He does bring his own unique talent role, but it doesn't sit within the universe of Hitman's Bodyguard as well as the other characters. Um, you've also got Morgan Freeman and Rebecca Front joining the cast as well. Morgan Freeman, very surprised to see him in a film like this. But even with this star power, it just doesn't hit the heights of the original. And that's a real shame. I wanted this film to deliver the goods and lend some. But unfortunately it doesn't. And I know other critics have ripped this film to shreds. It's very low on Rotten Tomatoes last time I checked. Somewhere in like the 20% region. But... If you're looking for cheesy, bonkers action with a little bit of Deadpool self-referential humour thrown in for good measure, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard does it perfectly. It's not the greatest film running in cinemas right now, but in alternative programming terms, if you're not up for Fast 9, if you're not up for A Quiet Place, if you're not up for Black Widow, or if In the Heights is a little bit too musical-driven for you, this is a good little piece of escapism from the outside world, and... Hand on heart, I was hoping to give this a little bit more than this rating, but there's a caveat to this particular review. I'm only giving this rating uh, for those of you who've actually seen the first film, because if you have seen the first film, it is worth a watch. Uh, if you haven't seen the um, first film, hit the wrong graphic again. There we go. Um... But if you haven't seen the first film, you are going to properly struggle with this one, even though it is quite self-referential in terms of uh, what it is. It's very self-contained. You will struggle with this film if you haven't already got prior knowledge of what this movie, this series of movies is all about. So we are really flying through talking some about film tonight because uh, I really want to get this podcast done. Let's now discuss this week's UK and Ireland box office. And we're in a very good place because all, oh, pretty much every Irish cinema is back open now. And it's been quite a historic week for the box office too uh, because so many pre-COVID records have been smashed as a result of the last few days. And for the first time since the cinemas reopened, we have the top 15. So I can run you through the current state of play. For the, for the back end. So at 15th place was Monster Hunter from Sony. Second week in the chart. It did 21 grand this weekend. It's up to just under a quarter of a million pounds, which, again, very good going for Monster Hunter. I know it's been one of the films that's been on video on demand for a while, which, very good going, proves that the big screen has some very good legs in it. 14th place is Godzilla vs. Kong. 25 grand from cinemas. Up to 2.6 million overall for Warner after its 11th week on release. So it's completed its theatrical run now. It is now on DVD and Blu-ray. So if you haven't already seen it, you can literally go to your local Tesco and buy it now. 13th place is Raya and the Last Dragon, which did 27 grand for Disney. It's up to £711,000. The Disney Plus rental has hit its chances at success pretty hard, which is a shame because it's a looks like it's a very unique kind of film. Um... But it's making the money, which is what they want. And at 12th place, doing £36,000, is Tom and Jerry the movie. I'm surprised Tom and Jerry's had legs on it this much because if you watched the last Talking Spit Better film, you know I've had my I had my issues with Tom and Jerry the movie, even though uh, the legend who I went with, because I watched it with my best friend, um, even though my best friend was of the opinion that it was quite a good film, 
I'm still going to believe that it did struggle in some elements and the box office data kind of reflects that. It is closing in on £890,000 at the box office, so it has really made... It's not made the full profit it would have liked. There's no shadow of a doubt about it. It's not quite done as well as Warner would have liked, but with the whole lockdown and the putting it on video on demand first, that really hit the chances. And at 11th place is Nobody. The Bob Odenkirk film that's been really plugged on the emails from head office this week. Uh, it's in its third week now. It did £56,000 at the box office, up to £1.2 which, again, is good going for a film opening after the lockdown and after the reopening. So we're in a very good state of play for the back end of the uh, box office. Now we get to talk about the top ten. And it's, been, it's a very interesting top ten too. So, without any further ado, this is what's currently your top ten ahead of, oh, let's be real, the last week before Black Widow hits. This is your UK and Ireland box office top ten. Hit the music! At tenth place this week is The Father from Lionsgate. It did £134,499 in its third week of release, bringing it up to £1.5 million, which is pretty good going. For, a, well, for an Oscar winner, at ninth place is a brand new entry, Dogtanian and the Three Muskethounds. It's taken years for this film to make it onto the big screen. As covered by Simon Brew and the legend over at Film Stories, it opened to the tune of £212,000 for Altitude Films, which is very good going considering the industry is at 50% capacity right now. Same can be said for Supernova at eighth place. New films with Studio Canal, Colin Verse, new one. Reviewed very well, did £245,000 from a myriad of UK cinemas, putting it into 8th place for its opening weekend. At 7th place, it's Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which did £298,134 for Warner in its 5th week of release, bringing it up to £8.3 million at the box office, which again, incredible going for a film like that. At sixth place is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, £446,000 in its second week on release, bringing it up to £2.6 million for Lionsgate, doing very well indeed. Top five now, Cruella begins your top five, £463,370 for Disney in its, looks to be its fifth week release, bringing it up to £7.8 million. At fourth place, week number four for A Quiet Place Part 2, £595,000 for Paramount, bringing it up to £9.5 million. In third place is In The Heights, which did 689 grand this week, bringing it up to 2.3 million for Warner in its second week on release. And in second place, with an £831,000 gross this weekend, is Peter Rabbit 2, bringing it up to 16.3 million. And we have a brand new number one, the biggest opening weekend for a film since March 16, 2020. Fast and Furious 9 has opened straight in at number one. It did just over £6 million. Put it into perspective, Tenet only did £5.6 million last year, which, all things considered, is an incredible show of support for the UK box office and the fact that people are coming back to cinema in their thousands. We're in a very good place going into Black Widow. We're in a very good place going into a big blockbuster film season. But one of the other things that's quite interesting about cinema nowadays, as nature heals up, is the fact that Screen Unseen, Odeon's legendary Screen Unseen strand, is back. 
And for those of you who aren't familiar with what Screed and Scene is, and I can actually call it Screed and Scene, unlike when I used to be on the radio back in the day, Screed and Scene is arguably the greatest idea in all of cinema. The premise is simple. Number one, you get a film that's an awards contender that film buying think is going to do very well. Number two, you get to see it early for dirt cheap. The catch, they don't tell you what the film's going to be until the BBFC black card comes up, or unless you're a film critic and you already know what it'll be before you even walk into the building, or your best friend gives away the film, or Odeon Systems accidentally put it on the LED boards above the door to the screen. It was an interesting ride on Tuesday, let's put it like that. But the nice thing about Screen and Scene is you get to see films that you traditionally wouldn't have been able to watch in the first place. Now, for our podcast listeners, for our audio listeners, you aren't going to get the full experience of this review because it's a subtitled film. It's a Danish film. I know, we're reviewing Danish films on Talking Smith about film. Feels good to do that again, doesn't it? But this is a very unique film. And it's a very, very... Well, considering what was leading into it, very tonally perfect film. Because on Tuesday night, we got to see the brand new film from Thomas Vinterberg. The man who brought Feston into the world back in 1995. And this, if you're familiar with the dogma movement, you'll know the, the sort of the purest style of filmmaking that it, that it all entails. This is another film that's very pure and wholesome. And it's about drinking too. This is the trailer for the Oscar winner for Best Foreign Film, Another Round. We'll see you in a couple of minutes, audio listeners, but for our YouTube viewers, if we make it past Content ID, feast your eyes. Det er godt, det her. Ja, det er sgu selv, du er så fornuftig. Men spørgsmålet er, hvad der i virkeligheden er fornuftigt? Der findes en, en norsk filosof. Han øh, mener, at mennesket er født med en halv promille for lidt. Altså, jeg må sige, jeg kunne da godt sådan bruge en halv promille sådan på daglig basis for at få lidt mere selvtid. Det har vi da alle sammen brug for. Det har du da også brug for. Jeg synes, det er spændende. Det gør jeg også. Så det er det, vi gør. Afhældning. Daglig indtagelse af alkohol. Ja. til konstant niveau på en halv promille. Med henblik på indsamling af evidens, ja. psykologiske og psykoratoriske følgevirkninger samt undersøgelse af forøget social og faglig udlevelse. Det er kun i arbejdstiden, vi drikker, ikke? Men det er jo ligesom Hemingway. Vi drikker ikke efter 8 og ikke i weekenden.
This is an absolutely bonkers film. And yes, that song is as catchy as you think it is. And it's quite a heartfelt film for Vinterberg too, because he had been wanting to make this kind of uh, movie like this for years. He was starting production on it. But then, much like every major movie of this kind, tragedy struck and his daughter tragically passed away during production. They went on filming it and they rewrote elements of it to make it a bit less preachy about its message. I'm just like topping up my drink here because I'm going to need it to talk about an intellectual film like this. There we go. So, your basic premise of the plot. Four high school teachers consume alcohol on a daily basis to see how it affects their social and professional lives. It goes without saying, drink responsibly uh, and don't try this kind of thing at home. Because as their experiment progresses, bad things happen. And... It's not afraid to sort of deal with some very heavy subject matter. The clip that we've got is quite a light-hearted one. Because, yes, that was Mass Mickelson, you sit in the trailer. This is him, as his teacher, Martin, prophesizing the benefits of drinking to his students. And bearing in mind, this clip isn't the whole clip. There is a punchline we've not... Dis- well, Gay and Studio Canal, all distributors, they've decided to cut the punchline from this clip. And when you see the film, you understand why, because it's in UK cinemas today. Here's a clip. <laughs> okay. Got. Can I get it? What you have to finish with these three? Yeah, yeah. Gælder det også pigerne? Oh yeah, det gælder også pigerne. Og til dem af jer, der har sovet de sidste 18 år, så kan jeg lige informere om, at det her det er General Grant, det er Ernest Hemingway og gode gamle Winston Churchill. Hvad er I til fælles med dem? I drikker som svin. Det gør I hver uge, hele året. Rigtig mange genstande, og derfor skal jeg lige stille nogle spørgsmål her. Ja, så er det sådan. Det er dig. Hvor meget drikker du på nu? Øh, det... Det ved jeg ikke. Du kan sagtens fortælle mig det, jeg siger det ikke til noget. Altså, Sundhedsstyrelsen anbefaler et maks på 14 genstande for mænd og 7 genstande for kvinder. Jason, 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 drikker du mere eller drikker du mindre end det anbefaler? Ja, yeah. jeg drikker vel altså torsdag, fredag og lørdag. Og så lidt søndag og onsdag, hvis der er Champions League. Hvor meget? Ja, 14-15 genstande, torsdag, fredag og lørdag. Uh-huh. Og så 15 genstande, søndag og onsdag, hvis det er. Okay, ja, hvor meget er der om ugen? Ja, på, på en god uge, på en god uge. Det er omkring 50, 55. Hvad <laughs> siger du? 55, 55. Uh, 55, okay. Kau? Ja. Hvad er reglerne for søløbet? Ja, spørgsmål. Forstod det? Ja. Øhm, man skal løbe rundt om søen på tid, og så skal man... Øh... Kasse øl. Ja, og hvis man brækker sig? Altså, hvis det er synkron. Der er regler for synkronbræk. Ja, yes, så man bare tid og omvendt, hvis man vejer sig uden de andre. Så får du lagt noget tid til. Jeg er med. Okay, og jeg skal have nogle hænder. Hvor mange af jer er med i søløb? 
Alle sammen jeg sværger, man kan ikke mærke det på jer. Prøv det er meget interessant det her, fordi nu er det jo Churchill, der er på tapetet herinde, ja? Og udover at fatte 37 bøger, fordelt på 58 bind, male over 500 malerier, modtage Nobelprisen i litteratur og holde fast, vinde 2. verdenskrig, som en af historiens største herrefører, så er han også meget berømt for følgende citat. Jeg drikker aldrig før måneden. Ja, så... I'm not going to spoil the Pentagon that clip, but they were given a choice of these three leaders and they all voted for the third choice. Uh, yeah, it's it's a film that, if it was set in the UK, it would never happen. Although, to be fair, there's an American remake on the way. We're getting DiCaprio uh, involved in it. So Screen and Scene returned to Odeon Cinemas on Tuesday. And as ever, the film buyers went all out to get a release worthy of the legendary strand that's given us the ability to watch things like The Shape of Water, Booksmart, uh, things like If Beale Street Could Talk, things like Vice. It's a, it's the stuff of legend, this Screen and Scene. So they went all out to find something genuinely worthy of that strand. And to welcome it back, we got another round. And much like previous screen unseen films, it is beautifully bonkers and really damn good. Vinceberg is able to craft a one-hour, 56-minute film that has very, some very comedic moments, but some also some very powerful undertones too. As the script that he co-wrote with Mindhunter alumni Tobias Lindholm, uh, is able to show these four men who were, well, uh, quite far from in between us, aren't they? Um, go progressively down the road of alcoholism without preaching the message. Uh, it's a difficult task for any filmmaker to do, especially with the whole regulation of Hollywood and getting it past the BBFC. This is surprisingly a 12 certificate film, which I find impressive given everything the BBFC are very harsh on nowadays. Uh, and what this film does is it doesn't go too hard on the alcohol is good message. It also shows you the, the, the message the alcohol is bad. I'm not going to spoil too much, but bad things happen to these boys as they go down the route of getting their blood alcohol content up from 0.5% to 1% and then events transpire. And yeah, it's it's a very powerful kind of film, but it, it also does it with the Danish style of humour and responsibility as well. The Danish are a lot more open and liberal about their drinking than the Brits. I mean, the, the Danish title is Druk, which literally translated means binge drinking. Um, it is one of those kinds of films. Uh, handling cinematography duties, though, is still a brand for Govren, uh, who carries on the traditions that Vinterberg's style has since its pioneering Dogma 95 days that he um, created with Von Trier back in the 90s. It's a very pure film in terms of what it is trying to do, and that is really where it excels. It's pure, it's simple, it's natural. You can tell it was all done in camera including a scene where Mass Mickelson honestly doesn't look his age. That's all I will say on that. But where, where the film excels is the performances. You can tell the experience that Vinterberg has of this dog's filmmaking has really helped get these performances. Because Mass Mickelson, Thomas Bogarsson, Magnus Millang and Lars Rant, your four teachers, uh, are really able to make this so-called experiment very believable. Because, well, they didn't quite do it for real. They did drink on set every night. And they got to know each other. Obviously, for Mickelson, he's worked with Vinterberg before. He knows the style of filmmaking. And he was actively involved in the production of, of this film. Yes, yes, yes. The dogma ideals of doing everything you can were still great madness. All nearly 25 years on from Feston. 
but the rest of the cast are just as good. Now, I would name them, but I would absolutely butcher the names of this cast. So the IMDb description of this film is going to be linked in the description and the comments of the um, of the podcast on all good platforms and on YouTube as well. But for the first screen and scene in over a year, for such a personal film like this, made as a little tribute to Vinterberg's daughter, Ida, uh, featuring her actual classmates in some of the um, school scenes. This felt like a very worthy way to bring back the best mystery film night in cinema. And I'm very delighted to report that there were no walkouts at Odin Preston when this film came on. There were no walkouts at Preston, which is incredibly rare for a screen unseen. Much like the England game, which acted as the lead-in for this particular showing, because it directly followed England-Germany. Game finished at half seven, screen and scene went on at course past eight. Um, another round is best enjoyed responsibly. It deals with some heavy themes in a very, very Danish way. With lots of humour. And it's a very rightful winner of the best foreign film Oscar, following in the footsteps of Parasite, which... Oh, yeah, that also got a screen and scene last year, too. Uh, it's rolling out across the UK today as this Talking Smith about film goes out. So track it down if, if you can. I can safely say it is a should-be-watched film uh, because it's not showing everywhere uh, because it's a foreign film and because Fast 9 is taking over every screen you can get. But it is a really enjoyable film. And it, even if you don't like subtitled things... Give it a go, because there was something about a subtitle film. We talked about it back in the day on the old Talking Spitback film when it was just audio only. We talked about it with Girlhood uh, a few years back. I wasn't really a fan of French language film at first, but when I watched Girlhood, Breathless and Lyenne, they were all cracking movies. Do not let the subtitles be a distraction. It's, in fact, if anything, make this your first foreign film and then go and watch Parasite. Because you do yourself a favour by watching these films, because it's not all about Hollywood. Next time a screen and scene comes up, book it, book it, book it, book it, book it. And if you're a limitless customer, you get it free of charge. Because you never know what you'll get on screen unseen. You never know at all what you're going to get on a screen unseen. Because the standard has been that good so far. And from one screen unseen to the next, that's all of our reviews done. For this week we do still have another 15 minutes or so to run so let's talk a little bit about something that's happening next week and this is the first time the trailer for it's actually going to be on the youtube channel as a lot of you will remember on july 8th last year we had a digital birthday marathon well we did all sorts of we did a behind the scenes of the marathon podcast we did a Every marathon film reviewed, we had Rip Ticket Review go out on main channel for the very first time. We had culminated by a journal about the film Huskers, written by me and my best friend Sophie Knox, who I imagine will probably be watching or listening to this at some point, and I'm actually I'm actually gonna be seeing her in the flesh next week. Um but that digital marathon was merely a placeholder because no cinemas round here were open. This year, there are cinemas open. So next week, we're doing something pretty bonkers. And 
this trailer gives you a little bit of an indication as to what's coming next week. Because it's actually going to have big bearing on the next Talking Spielberg film for which we will actually be live. Because it's finally that time of year. Arrive for the open. Stay until the last bus home. We are, of course, talking about the marathon. So, film one down. Gotta admit, Queen's Corgi is as bad as the trailers have made it out to be. No place like home. Welcome to the cinema where I hone my craft. So, Spider-Man Far From Home was insane. Graham, let's do it. Damn, it feels good to be home. Welcome to my house. It's my house. <laughs> oh, it feels good to have a trailer like that running on Talking Smear about film again. But the rumours are true. The birthday marathon is back next week. And that trailer is actually a little bit out of date. Because as I record this, I'm recording this literally 24 hours before we go to where. We're recording this at 7 o'clock on Thursday. So as you guys watch this, it'll have all been locked in. I can just see over on my whiteboard to the other side of the studio, I can see the schedule for the films. Necessity truly is the mother of of invention because while we build it as too big for one night it's actually too big for two nights as well for the very first time ever the birthday marathon is going to be spread out over three days this year we'll be there on the 7th to do fast and furious 9 which will be my 250th film at view preston and then on july 8th and i'm surprised we've got these kinds of films we open with Train Spotting, a film I've seen hundreds of times before, but I've never actually watched it on a big screen. And then we have Black Widow, which is quite a tonal shift in films, but for the marathon, that's what you expect. We will also be there on July the 9th. And what we will be watching for the marathon that day, only the View Preston staff will know until we announce it the night before. We're calling it Marathon Unseen. They're going to pick the films. The view staff are actually going to pick the films for that final day. First time we've ever delegated responsibility to them like that. So the marathon is back. There'll be a lot of content coming out of it. The first major bit of content, if I cue this little graphic up, you'll be able to see the highlights of the birthday marathon as part of this month's episode of The Journal. We're going to be starting to film that over the next couple of days. It's a tradition that we film the July Journal out on location at VIEW during the marathon. We're able to do that this year, which is fantastic. So we will be showcasing what I get up to in foyer as part of this month's episode of The Journal. And it is very good 
to be able to say that once again. But for talking Smith about film, this is where the marathon gets all the more bonkers. Because on July 10th, we're going to be back live here on YouTube and on the podcast platforms reviewing the films in a special bumper unboxing podcast. Much like we did last year, albeit this time, the films are public knowledge. Uh, so we'll be reviewing on the next Talking Smith about film, Fast and Furious 9, Train Spotting, Black Widow, whatever we review on the Friday as well. Whether we will actually have trailers and clips in time for this little extra Talking Smith about film remains to be seen. But we are in a very good place to be able to deliver the marathon. We've got all sorts of COVID protocols that are in play, uh, or be, the amount of tests I've had to do, the amount of uh, paperwork I've had to do, the amount of test and trace forms I've got to fill out to make this marathon happen. But it is good to be able to get back on site and do do this properly for the first time since well, since I graduated because um, we didn't get to do it last year. But the birthday marathon is back on site at V Preston next week. We're back home, and it is a delight to be able to spend the amount of time that I'm going to be spending with that team over the next couple of days. Whether we're going to be fed up with me by the end of play on Friday remains to be seen, but I don't think they will. I've been looking forward to this as much as I have. Uh, other content to look out for. So we've got the Marathon Journal at the end of this month. Uh, we also have uh, the August Journal. It's a cracker. The August Journal is an absolute cracker. We have delved into the world of the film review site Letterboxd, finding the most out there film reviews. And I reacted to them on camera. It's the spiciest episode we have ever made of the journal. And I've, I've really enjoyed how it came about. It's, it's, a, it's a good episode. And you'll be seeing that um, in the middle of August, around when Suicide Squad will come out. And then from there, where we go, nobody knows. Uh, because we're like, we're on the road to Bond now. We are on the road to Bond. Once this marathon is out of the way, we are on the road to no time to die. And how long have we been saying that? Let's be, let's be real. But with all roads leading to View Preston next Wednesday at 1.15, we're going to have to bid you adieu for, for this week. Sadly, we'll be back on Saturday, July the 10th. Unless football comes home and we make it through to the final on the 11th, which is a very real possibility. And also, good luck to the England boys uh, for the uh, for the USA game on Sunday. It's, it's like a warm-up game, but it's still an England international. And as a rugby norse, you, you'll all probably know I'm looking forward to it. But that is it for this week's Talking Swim About Film. We'll be back on July the 10th with more of this, but a bit more live. And hopefully with a bit more interaction than we usually do. Until then, stay safe. Get your vaccine if you've not already done so. They're open to all over 18s in the UK now. Enjoy Fast 9. Enjoy Black Widow. We'll see you back here a week on Saturday for the biggest talking smit about film of the year. Until then, we'll see you at the movies.